Welcome to another episode of Twin Day Wealth IQ. My name is John Lachlan. Um, my guest today is Rick Herrig, CFP, and he's founder of Legacy Resources and a Chicago chair of Tiger 21, which is a peer-to-peer learning forum for successful entrepreneurs and C-suite executives. Rick has lived in Europe three times in his adult life, and following his third sojourn, he returned to create and trademark, in fact, a new category of wealth advisor. Uh, today, Rick serves as a legacy strategist. The focus of his practice is legacy planning and its implications for a client's financial plan and estate design. Rick, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. So let's start at the beginning here. Tell us briefly what a legacy strategist is and and how you got into this business. Gladly. Well, a legacy strategist, uh, as a legacy strategist, I assist clients in defining the destination or purpose for their wealth. And then in collaboration with their advisors, I help in translating what they've defined into a design for their estate. Uh, How I got into the business? Well, upon my return from Austria in 1994, I had written a business plan and had sought out the CEO of a Fortune 500 company thinking, if he likes it, I might have a business. Well, it was a magical moment. He liked what he heard so much, he became my first client. So what we did is we created a charitable remainder trust for him, funded it with highly appreciated stock, sold it three weeks later, deferring all the capital gain taxes, creating a current income tax deduction, a lifetime income stream, and a pool of capital for charitable purposes. And he was delighted. I had other ideas, but later found it difficult to get on his calendar. Eventually, I learned that there were health and relational issues in the family, which unless settled, would cause the planning process to stall out. And John, it was in that moment I realized that unless I am sensitive to the complexities that life, health, and wealth create, and can find creative solutions to complex relational and practical concern, tax-wise planning and great investments would always be interesting, but might very well miss the point. There would be little progress and many a legacy left in tatters. It was then that I knew I would have to grow the skills to become a legacy strategist. So full disclosure here, uh, Legacy Resources is somewhat of a sister company to Twinday in that we um, engage you to perform these services, as you mentioned, um, and then you provide introductions to Twinday for our portfolio risk and asset management services. but but I'm excited to talk more about what drives you personally, and and what about this passion you have to maximize the meaning and impact of family wealth? I mean, tell us about the kinds of issues you've come across in your career, um, some obstacles you've had to overcome, and, and how you've been uh, able to address those in your clients' lives. Uh, sure. Well, it's true. I have an uncommon passion for anyone who is settling for far less than was ever intended for them. The loss to the person and to the rest of us in the community is quite unsettling to me. Um, And well, when I witness this, I'm energized to learn what is keeping them from making progress. I become curious about their story and the shaping forces of their life. As I lean in and I think with them about what was and what could be, a destination or purpose for their lives and resources begins to emerge. From there, goals and objectives are crafted or updated, following which financial and estate plans are revised and aligned. Uh, As we know, lives are messy and lives with significant assets are often messier still. Most clients seek us out to assist them with practical everyday planning challenges to solve. It is in the course of what we refer to as the legacy conversation that we learn 
about the relational and other complexities that are getting in the way of straightforward solutions. So give me some examples of these issues that you, you run across. Sure. Some families have a firm foundation for the eventual baton pass, I call it. Uh, that is really a, the time of life when the next generation is informed about their inheritance and then learn about its magnitude and eventually become stewards of what they receive, either gradually or suddenly. Other families are in a quandary about how to wisely bring the adult children and their wealth together. There may be anxiety around when to start or how to uh, start the conversation regarding the family's wealth. Uh, what are the age-appropriate conversations to have, they'll ask. How much is enough for our adult children and when? What role should struggle play in the life of an heir? If a parent believes that resilience is a key character attribute, what best practices might be right for my son or daughter? So issues like this, like these. So, and then having an eye for this less financial complexity really requires a broader, um, you know, more holistic understanding of what wealth is. So get to the core of it then. What is the, what is your philosophy of, of wealth? Well, that's a great question. Uh, what is wealth? Uh, first, a common understanding suggests it's the assets we own. Many feel, and I'm among them, that what wealth is goes far beyond the financial to the things we know and can know, the experience we've had and can have, the quality of our family and relational networks, uh, the number of true friends we have, and the anchoring of the human soul into that which is eternal. Uh, that's what wealth is to me. You know, recently, John, uh, a study was published that suggested that all an individual might require for a rich and full life is 75000 per year. If that is to be believed, it would suggest that the number of wealthy in the U.S. is far greater than we have thought, and the number of those who who don't know they are wealthy is, is far lower than we think. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like it would be a pretty radical uh shift in mindset if people were to think of it as, as you said, 75,000 or above makes you wealthy, I think people would have a very different attitude toward toward their life. Yeah, well, that's uh, a much larger conversation, uh, but it's uh, it's certainly one worth exploring. So getting into the the process a little bit and, and how, you know, the steps you take to to make this happen, um, I guess, start at the beginning. What is What does the process look like when you're doing this sort of strategizing? So, John, we're all about strengthening uh, the family. Uh, As we think about this, we first discover what constitutes valued outcomes for the parents. Uh, This can go on to include a visioning process, identifying the place of most potential, and capturing the family's financial philosophy. Next, the kinds of things we work on are those in collaborative advisor teams. We translate what's been defined into design a complete with fully integrated after-tax cash flows. And then we move on to implementing. Asset allocations are adjusted, tax efficiency is optimized, risk management is addressed, and lifestyle and estate liquidity needs are assessed. And then lastly, uh, we monitor the uh, progress that the family makes. We're on call for best practices for preparing heirs, designing family meetings, and engaging in the philanthropy conversation with them and their children. 
So having done this for a while, I'm sure you've come across some some great stories and had some great uh, shared experiences with these clients. But can you just give us maybe some of the most satisfying outcomes that you've seen during your career uh, working as a legacy strategist? Well, one in particular comes to mind, John. I was uh, referred to a gentleman and his wife uh, living in Tucson. Uh, we had a telephone conversation, and it made sense for me to fly to Tucson and, and visit them. And I spent a couple of days with them thinking about uh, the opportunities and, and challenges that they were facing with respect to their estate. And as I talked about the different uh, things I saw in the context of their fact pattern, it became clear to me that uh, he was both uh, energized and then suddenly subdued. And I was silent for a moment. And he turned to me and said, Rick, all these things you're suggesting sound wonderful. But I'm older now, and my health isn't what it used to be. And uh, to quote him, the wheels are falling off the bus. Your ideas are for somebody else. And then this uh, drive kicks in for me because I see him uh, settling. And while I had compassion, I felt a need to uh, inject a, a surge of possibilities through the energy that I brought to it. And specifically, I said, my goodness, what needs to happen? Do we need to go through my Rolodex or your Rolodex? You know what you want to do in education. You know what you want to do in the community. You know what you uh, have done. You've got contacts because of your business networks. Where do we need to go? There is, uh, there's time and there's possibility built right into what we both know and what we've shared with each other now. And, uh, his wife perked up and he perked up. It was like I had lit a fire under him. And the conversation continued. And then we had dinner that evening. And the following morning, I met, uh, well, I stayed with him. And so we were up for breakfast. He had not come down yet. And his wife and I were speaking together. And she said, Rick, it was really something after what you shared yesterday. Uh, specifically in that moment I just described, John, uh, that the wife said, um, last night as my husband was getting ready for bed, I saw in his eyes a new life and a new hope. She looked at me and she said, last night you gave my husband a reason to live. Mm. Well, that's that's pretty profound. I think that's maybe something that... Um people may not realize when when dealing with this sort of stuff that it can be far, far deeper than just wealth management or or those types of things. I, I think you said it all there in the last sentence that giving someone a reason to live is is pretty, pretty important. Um, so to finish off here, um, again, you're a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of, of good advice here. So let's do a lightning round of top tips. I'm going to give you just a hypothetical situation. And I want just two to three minutes of, of gold advice, your, your top top advice you could give someone. And um, I should say our, our listeners are lucky this is a free podcast. This is usually something people have to pay for. So um, let's say I'm, I'm 60 years old. Um, my children are in their early 20s. I'm sure this is a pretty common scenario. 
how should I be thinking about wealth transfer so that I don't I don't mess up my children, so to speak? How do I do that in the in the most elegant and seamless way possible? Well, first, I'd like to say, ideally, uh, you would have started much earlier. I love the uh, wonderful story of uh, Michael Jordan's response when asked, I'd love my son to grow up uh, being great at basketball. Uh, When should I start? And Michael Jordan's classic response was, well, uh, how big is the crib? Will the basketball fit in the crib? In other words, there's no time that's too early to start on something that's really, really important. And in this context, it's about the conversations. I'm reminded of Prince Albert of Monaco, who attended um, Amherst College and was in my uh, uh, national fraternity. And he would talk about how from the earliest memory that he had, he was being prepared to ascend the throne and to become the king, the reigning monarch or king of Monaco, which he is today. And he was prepared through not only uh, educational uh, topics or in schools, but also in the people he met, the experiences he had. In other words, there was a lifetime of preparation. And it occurred to me, who among us would want, not want to uh, see our children as worthy of such intentionality? So a big part of my thinking on this is intentionality. It's the conversations that we have with our uh, children uh, as they're growing up. But it's never too late to start this process. And so as I think about somebody in their 20s, I think about first understanding uh, uh, myself as a parent. Who am I? What are, what are my dreams? What is enough for me? And enter into the conversation with my child with a similar uh, seeking, searching uh, interest about them. Consider this daughter. Consider this son. Who who are you? What are your dreams? How can I invest in your dreams? A parent, I believe, who takes this uh, approach uh, will uh, uh, enjoy uh, intimate conversations, thoughtful conversations, and the appreciation of their son or daughter. And this will serve them in good stead as they move on to uh, preparing for um, what I call the baton pass. Uh, Another example of something that may come up is let's say somebody always, you know, always is being asked for philanthropic gifts. They're always being asked to donate to some charity, to some organization. Um, I'm sure that can be tedious after a while or, or just kind of, you know, somebody might go numb to the idea, but how, how would you make philanthropy more fun and fulfilling to someone? Great question. Well, it comes up quite often, actually. So I, I think the ancient Greeks uh, uh, got this one right. Uh, particularly, I'm thinking of the uh, exhortation, know thyself. First off, uh, what kind of donor are you? Um, an assessment may be useful. Uh, some of us are bound to make what I call gifts of gratitude. These are the gifts that say thank you. Uh, and what I think it would serve us all well to do is to have a finish line for how much that is each year or ultimately once and for all. Because the thank you gifts are are usually a look back to um, someone or some institution or some 
art form as it may be. And yet it, it may not be really what's top of mind for a donor today. Uh, there are also uh, gifts I call mission gifts. And these are the organizations that need to exist in this world or that uh, a donor uh, wants to test. So uh, there are uh, reasons for, for doing those. And uh, the greater clarity we have around the kind of donor we are, the easier it is going to be to say to those who want to solicit, um, I don't uh, uh, see how that fits into what is core for me at this time. And uh, uh, they may also be uh, relationship gifts. Uh, these are gifts to charities uh, that appeal to someone uh, other than the donor. You may make a relationship gift because of uh, a good friend's interest in a charity or neighbor or friend from some social organization, club, country club, etc. Uh, they happen quite frequently. And then there are program gifts. These are gifts that tie directly to a donor's uh, philanthropic purpose. And I find that these can be areas that uh, really garner significant gifts uh, from the donor. And then also passion gifts. These gifts may not be recognized widely in society as a problem issue, but they're subject matter experts uh, that are often required to help them make these gifts, right? So um, understanding uh, what kind of donor you are makes it easy to direct the attention of a would-be solicitor uh, for a better use of their time. Some families use uh, the fact that they've got a foundation, even if it's only a donor advice fund, to say, well, that's really something you need to take up with my foundation manager. I uh, defer all such inquiries to him or her. So it starts with knowing what kind of donor you are, where you want to make your impact, which makes it easier to uh, defer the question or just to uh, politely uh, say no to the opportunity or to refer the person to someone else. So uh, the last scenario I'm going to throw at you is one that I think everyone hopes they can be asking themselves or asking their wealth advisor one day, but you know, maybe, maybe aren't there yet, but let's say that I'm, I'm very rich. I'm very, very wealthy. Um, tell me why at this stage or any stage, should I care about making marginal improvements? If I'm not going to run out of cash, I've, I, I want for nothing. Tell me why I should still be worried about the little details and the little marginal improvements I'm making to a portfolio or to my wealth overall. Well, this is a, a particularly important uh, question. And it's, again, another one that uh, uh, rises, uh, if not uh, spoken outright, certainly in the hearts and minds of several in this, many in this position. So here's how I feel about this uh, and how I think about it. Those who have substantial wealth are exposed to uncommon risks, and you've just identified one. Among them is the risk that they really don't need others. When this happens, they begin to throw up barriers and live in silos. Gatekeepers are hired to protect them from the outside world. They may even lose sight of their real purpose and come to view it as being about prestige, power, and security. Uh, how I think about this, John, is this. Each of us is here for a purpose. There's nothing more satisfying than fulfilling that purpose. If that purpose is either not clear or 
you find you've run out of things to do, well, then engage someone who will help you step into a larger life. Now, what might that larger life look like? Each of us could benefit from having a vision that exceeds our capacity to fund it. And when we have such a vision, it can be so compelling that it attracts others to our side. Consider Melinda and Bill Gates. Their vision is so large and so powerful, compelling, if you will, and the quality of their execution so high that they've attracted Warren Buffett to come alongside them. Now, I maintain, John, this is possible for each one of us. It's not only for those with substantial wealth. It can be uh, and is uh, for all those who have a vision that exceeds their capacity to fund it and a passion that is so undeniable for a purpose that is so worthy that others say, let me come alongside you and help. Great. Um, well, I think those are great, great pieces of advice. And um, I'm, I'm cognizant of your time here, Rick, but I think we could definitely spend a lot more time on these issues. So I hope to have you back on in the future. If you want to find out more about what Rick does, you can visit him at legacy-resources.com or email him at rherig at legacy-resources.com. Any views expressed on the podcast are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute investing, accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. You should not base any investing decisions solely on what you hear on this podcast. 20 Investment Group does not seek to provide services in jurisdictions where they are not duly licensed. Past performance is not an indicator of future results.